the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Should worship leaders avoid Hillsong and Bethel songs? And later, advice to our younger selves. You're listening to The Common Good. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson, and for the second day in a row, I am joined by one of my favorite co-hosts of all time, guest co-hosts of all time, I should say. Yes. Just to be fair to Brian, I should say that. That Mm -hmm. is Catherine McNeil. Catherine, thanks for being here with us again today. We love having you. I always love being here. Go away, Brian. You're I'll take a regular, your seat any day. You're a household name here at the Common Good. That's so right. We love, love, love having you. Uh, if you've missed any of our show this week, we'd love to invite you to go back and catch up on our podcast, wherever it is you cast those pods of yours. And we love inviting you to engage with us on social media. We are at Common Good Talk on uh, Instagram, on Facebook, on threads, and on Twitter as well. So to be, be sure to find and follow us and engage with us there. Um, all right, Catherine, this is a difficult, complicated question. Uh oh. Uh, but it is kind of one that is at the forefront of a lot of conversations right now in the church world. Yeah. The question is when worship leaders are picking music for services, there's a currently a handful of mega churches dominate the market Hillsong Music, Bethel Music. Uh. Big, uh, uh, what's the, what's Stephen Furtick's church? Anyway, the, his big church, they make music. Anyway, uh, there are four mega churches that apparently dominate modern worship music. There's yes. been some research done about that recently. We actually had the woman leading this survey on the show, and it was so fascinating wow. to hear wow. from. But because of even some of the crossovers in music and that kind of thing, Basically, we're getting most of our worship music right now from four big churches, American churches. Uh, I guess, I guess Hillsong, though, you'd say Australian or global. The question then that follows is, you know, some of these churches, for instance, Hillsong has had quite, quite a lot of controversy recently following it. And, um, people are asking, uh, researchers are asking, should churches, should worship pastors decide to no longer sing those songs? Hmm. Okay, so let me read you a quote. Glenn Packiam, he's a pastor who's been on the show before. Okay. He, yeah. he was a former worship leader. He's a songwriter turned pastor. He said that it's a complicated question and choosing what songs get chosen for worship is a complicated task. It often starts by figuring out what song, what message works best in a local congregation. Yes. He said for him, our number one was prior. Our number one priority was to write songs for the people in our church. That was when he led worship at new life church in Colorado Springs. Um, but obviously some churches aren't making music, right? They don't have mm-hmm. the resources or the people or oh, the yeah. whatever. Most. So, so we go to the church, we go to the 
music that is out there and available for us. Sure. Okay. So <laughs> if this is a conglomerate machine, mm-hmm. if this is a part of the industry and if they're coming from churches that are problematic, like what do you do? I think this is an age old question. Can you separate the art from the artist? This is a question, you know, of course that matters for churches. I think even like you take somebody like Michael Jackson, who's been accused of all kinds of child, uh, sexual abuse, yeah. allegedly, can you listen to Michael Jackson music? Like this is sort of a, it's yeah. bigger than cancel culture, but it's certainly part of that conversation. Yeah. And then I think in churches where like we're held to a higher standard and want, I think to honor a higher standard, what in the world do we do? So I don't expect you to have the answer. Oh, Catherine. no. <laughs> <laughs> but I just thought it'd be interesting to discuss like yeah. what in the world. And I'm not a worship pastor. So I want to be very clear. I trust the worship pastors to do their job. But I I think it's interesting. Let me tell you some of the research. Only 16% of worship leaders have said they're less likely to choose a song with ties to Hillsong. One in four says they're less likely to choose song with ties to Bethel. More than half of worship leaders said they were likely to choose songs with ties to Hillsong. Around half says they're likely to choose songs with ties to Bethel. So this hasn't... The things that have come out about, you know, yeah. being a big media conglomerate or music conglomerate and yeah. some of the problematic things in the church doesn't seem to have stopped a lot of worship pastors from singing the songs or leading their church in these songs. Yeah. Wow. What a what a <laughs> what a no. way to start the afternoon. Yeah, let's go Tuesday. Oh, <laughs> uh, Tuesday. Um Man, I think there are so many factors that go into why you choose a worship song for your church. Um, you know, on the one hand, absolutely good doctrine is important. Mm-hmm. Um, on another hand, like you said, like the local expression mm-hmm. of faith is so important. But on yep. the other hand, you know, the global church has always like really thrived on the fact that you could be in like Africa or yes. Asia or South America and have an experience that you recognize, you know, like there's something about repeating those liturgies together and Mm -hmm. our modern liturgies are our worship songs. So I don't think it's necessarily a problem for us to sing the same song all around the globe. If Mm -hmm. anything, I think that's a really special act of worship. Yeah. But on the other hand, I'm not a huge fan of the conglomerate. Um, Mm. And making worship into big business seems like mm. a really bad idea. Mm. And, but on the other hand, <laughs> you know, like my children have had their faith formed by some of these songs. Like totally. I cannot imagine saying to their innocent, genuine, earnest hearts, like, I know that you feel God's closeness when you imagine him walking across the water to you, but we can't sing that song anymore because somebody's a bad guy Mm -hmm. out there. They don't care. They don't care who wrote it. They just care about how God met them. They care about their testimony of faith, which is all messed up with the community of faith and the truth of God, but the also God's living spirit that has actually met them Mm. in the circumstances of singing these songs together in community in their real life. So who am I to say like, that's bad now. That's not right either. So I don't think there's an easy answer here. I don't think there's an easy answer here too. Let me share share with you kind of the top places that worship songs right now are coming from. Like we said, Bethel, 
uh, Cody Carnes and Carrie Job, Elevation. That was the church I was trying to think of earlier. Elevation, mm-hmm. Hillsong, Jesus Culture, Passion, Phil Wickham, and Vertical Worship. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently worship leaders are more likely to choose songs associated with Phil Wilcom than songs attributed to the big four or okay. other artists. So that's kind of interesting. But I'm with you. I think it is. I think it is so complicated because... Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I think it's so I could see why if a if a church becomes egregious enough or the songwriters, their their moral failure is egregious mm-hmm. and harmful mm-hmm. enough that you might like for me, for instance, with Ravi Zacharias, I just don't yeah. feel comfortable to consume his material. I don't feel before oh, the Lord sure. that I can't. Right. If it gets egregious enough, then you go. Yes. I, but you know, before the Lord, we yep. may not be able to do this anymore. Cause we're going to say this song yep. is not, didn't come from an anointed place, but, right. but what's that line and who determines yeah. it and how public does it have to be? And how, I mean, right. it, there's no easy answer. I no. you know, we can't answer it here, but I just thought that was, I, it's, it's interesting fascinating. to think about. Mm-hmm. I'd love to hear from the worship leaders out there, mm-hmm. how they're weighing these things and how they make these decisions. If you're a worship leader and you're listening, let us know at common good talk. Okay. Catherine, one of the things that Brian and I like to do every once in a while is to go back to our younger self and give advice about ministry. <laughs> so I'm going to put you on the spot. I'll give you a few Ooh. minutes here before we go to break. I want to have you return and uh, give advice to your younger self about the creative life. We will do oh. that when we return. You're listening okay. to Comic Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. I said before that one of the things that Brian and I like to do every once in a while is to give advice to our younger selves in certain categories of our lives. I think the last time we did this, it was around pastoral ministry. And I thought we would kind of put you on the spot, Catherine, put you on the spot. Oh, man. And just thinking about the creative life, because you're a creator, you're an author, you're an editor, you're a speaker, you are creating content as part of your calling and part of your role, part of your job as well. Um if you could go back and give advice to your younger, younger sort of burgeoning creative self. Yeah. What pieces of advice might you give? Well, it was very thoughtful of you, Aubrey, to give me the break to think about it, but I did not need a break. I know exactly what I would say. You're ready. I would love it. I would say, go for it. Like this Mm. is a job. This is a thing you can do because here's the thing. I have always loved writing and telling stories and putting, exploring thoughts with words. Um, my, I first had a poem published in second grade in my small town newspaper. And I mean, we're talking, I don't want to interrupt you, but I had a poem published in my newspaper in second grade in Dunwoody, Georgia. It was about a flamingo. I don't remember what mine was about. Wow. We were destined to be friends. It's Absolutely, obvious. Absolutely, we were. Okay. okay, go ahead. Okay. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but go ahead. I would write plays that I would make my cousins perform. Amazing. I wrote stories that my mm-hmm. aunt would have bound for me at whatever was the 1980s version of Kinko's. That is so cute. I, have, I still have a whole... I have, I'm looking at it right now, a whole file of stories that I wrote that I loved, but it never, ever, ever occurred to me that I could be a writer, Mm. that this, that I could study it at school, that I could apply for jobs in this, that I could try to get something published. I think in a way I thought that writers were like movie stars, you know, that Mm. it was a different, it was a different kind of 
category of people mm-hmm. who had that kind of job. And I was just a normal person. So I was going to yeah. have to get a normal person job. Yeah. And, um, so I would, the advice I would give myself is, Hey, you love this and you're good at this. Mm. Study this, pursue this. Like yeah. this can be your life. Yeah. It took me a long time before I realized that. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I love that. I, how about um, yourself? Well, Oh man, man, I, I need to come back to that because I want to tell okay. you a story about something that happened this weekend and that'll give me time to think through oh. my own advice. Um, I was with, I was at an event over the weekend, uh, generation distinct. We've had Hannah Grinowski yes. on the show before her event organization. And part of my role was to spend time with young adults, uh, early twenties who are interested in publishing. Okay. And, uh, so beautiful. So, I mean, just so fun to like hear their excitement around publishing, but the number of young adults, Catherine, who said they don't read. Oh, I was like, and I literally said, and I, maybe this would be a piece of advice, although I was always a reader, so I didn't necessarily need that advice, but I just said, you cannot, you absolutely cannot be a writer unless you're reading. And I mean, and, and Does I that need looked, to be said. <laughs> yes, apparently it needed to be said. Oh. And I, I think there's a difference. Like you're talking about how you thought the writer was a different class of person. I think there's a difference between in people's minds, being a writer and actually writing and like the craft okay. of writing. She, I, I've heard people yeah. say, I heard people say in undergrad that we're pursuing acting. There's a difference between wanting to be an actor and actually wanting to act. Yes. And, and I guess that would maybe be a piece of advice to my younger self is like, this is not a different, this is not a like sexy job. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And it does require the things that you're, you're passionate about young Aubrey, just, uh, keep, keep reading good writers and keep learning the craft of writing and keep, um, keep pursuing it, but recognize that you're pursuing a skill and a craft yes, and not necessarily this ideal of like, quote, being an author. Does that make right? Oh, that makes so much sense. I feel you and I talk about this a lot, but every day, pretty much when I introduce myself as a writer or an author, people will be like, Oh, someday I'm going to write my book about growing peaches in my backyard. And I'll be like, okay, what do you do? Oh, you're a biologist. Okay. No, you're not going to, you know, like, right. You're just I don't walk there. up to them and say someday I'm going to publish in the medical journal, <laughs> my thoughts on using my er- the herbs in my garden to solve headaches. Solve, I'm, right. I'm not in the medical field and I'm, right. you know, it's right. funny how everybody who enjoys writing believes that they are at the same level as a professional writer. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a funny thing. That was interesting to me this weekend. And also like to have to, um, kind of, again, wanting to really encourage and fan the flame of these young folks, but also wanting to say, you can't write a couple things. You can't write, especially when you're just starting. Um, you cannot write a book to everybody. Like Mm -hmm. you really Mm -hmm. need to understand your audience and you need to really narrow down your audience. Like you actually grow, deeper by growing narrower, you know, Mm -hmm, because a lot mm -hmm. of them are like, I'm going to write a book that's for everybody. And I'm like, well, no, you're not, you know, you write a book that's for maybe your age bracket. And those in that age bracket, it's people who care about this particular issue or shop at this particular Mm -hmm, store. So mm -hmm. we had to talk through some of that stuff. And then the other thing was how many, how many 
writers that are dreaming of writing just want to publish a memoir. I'm just going to write my story. I'm just going to write my story. I'm just going to, I heard that over and over again. I'm just going to write my story. I'm just going to write my story. Yeah. And it's so you, you don't want to like, you don't want to like douse the fire that's growing in them, but you do want to give a little bit of realistic, um, wisdom, which I did, which was like, Uh look, unless you're like super famous, nobody necessarily wants to read your memoir, but here's what we can do with your story. Let's talk about that. Like your story can be a great starting place, but we have to find the like nuggets in your story. So yes, I guess that would be some advice I did give to not my younger self, but younger selves growing up into this world, this industry. And I think similarly, I think don't be so enamored by telling your story that you are forgetting to listen to other stories. Mm. I think in, I think that's maybe a temptation we all have in this day and age where we're constantly creating Instagram stories or TikTok Mm. reels or whatever it is that we're doing. We are not necessarily, we're so busy narrating our lives that I, Mm. I don't know that we listen as well as we once did. And then we, we lose the context for where our story fits inside of the broader story. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's actually a really, um, that kind of goes back to like, I think writers are readers one to learn the craft of just good. Like here's what a beautiful sentence is like. You learn that as Mm -hmm. you read, but also you learn where your story does fit in bodies of work Mm -hmm. that are already out there. Like what is the conversation culturally that's having around this topic that you want to touch on in your story? Let's say anxiety. I heard a lot of that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell my story of anxiety. Okay. Awesome. Do you know what's already out there about anxiety? What's the conversation that's happening in different places in the world Mm -hmm. from different voices in the world? And how does yours fit there? How does how, what does it bring to the table that hasn't been brought to the table? How does it help advance the conversation? Like I think there's important things to be communicated to young aspiring creatives for sure. All right. Anything else that comes to mind advice you would give to young Catherine? Cute little creative Catherine, oh, baby Catherine. Uh, j- like I said, just you. Like this could be a job. Mm. Pursue looking at this from the lens of a job and not just a hobby. It. Don't waste any time. Jump on in. But then you know, I did get a lot of life experience along yeah. the way, so yeah, that's maybe good. I did it right after all. Maybe you did. You definitely did. All right. Coming up next, <laughs> our uh, producer, Laura Finch, was fascinated with something that Catherine posted on Twitter recently. We're going to talk about it when we return. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Catherine, if they're not following you on Twitter, now's the chance because we're going to talk about something you posted on Twitter. Why don't you tell people where your social media handles are? All right. Well, my name is Catherine McNeil and I am on the internet anywhere I can be found under at Catherine McNeil. That goes for everywhere. The tricky thing is spelling my name right. So mm-hmm. Catherine's with a C and McNeil is M-C-N-I-E-L. If you find me, then you found me. <laughs> Wonderful. And you can follow our show at Common Good Talk. You can follow me at Samp. Catherine, you posted something on Twitter that our... Um, our producer, Laura Finch, was like, you have to talk about this. It's so uh, funny. Oh so dear. why don't you set this up for us? Okay. Well, 
you know, nothing on social media is new. I saw a friend of mine ask the question, make me choose between two things that are totally unrelated. (laughs) And I thought that was hilarious. So I, I retweeted that and I said, hit me with your best false choices. (laughs) And it's great. So good. All right. So what are some of the answers that people gave? Well, the very first one that people asked me to choose between was peanut butter or Pink Floyd. Oh, come on. (laughs) Yeah, I went with peanut butter for sure. Oh, I would have gone with Pink Floyd for sure in that scenario. That's so Would you have? Yeah, Okay. Yeah, I guess you would have. I get that makes sense. Um, One really difficult one was scented candles (laughs) or... Warm, fresh from the dryer laundry. <gasps> oh, that's so hard. What did you pick on that one? I went with hot out of the dryer laundry, but I that was oh. I just sort of had to like randomly throw a dart oh. because I want them both. Oh, yeah, that is so, so tricky. Yep. I I um this is not related to false choices, it is relating to warm clothes out of laundry we were at okay this is kind of a long-winded story but i'll try to make it short when we were in oklahoma on our vacation our listeners will remember just about a week or two ago uh we spent the night at one of my parents friend's house because we needed some extra space okay she had a portable like i don't even know what you call it a portable tub type of thing bucket plug into the wall put your towels in it and while you're taking a shower, it warms them up. And so you get out what? of the shower and pull it out of the shower and have this wonderfully warm towel to wrap around you. And I was like, what? This and I've never heard. It. It's like a dryer in your bathroom. That's incredible. It was amazing. That's incredible. Yes. It was like, I need to find one. I should have looked on Amazon Prime Days actually last week and I didn't even think about it. Um, okay. What okay, else? Well, Tell us the other one that, that people share. That example was hard because they're both such wonderful things. Yes. But this one is hard because they're both such awful things. <laughs> Which would you one? choose? Having to skydive naked or taking a transcontinental flight wearing only your underwear? <gasps> oh, no. Okay, say it so, both again. I actually ri- <laughs> having to skydive naked. Okay. Uh. Or taking a transcontinental <gasps> flight wearing only your underwear. So I read that one to my husband and I said, help me know what to choose. And he right. said, well, if you're skydiving naked, you don't have a parachute and you're going to die. But I followed up and the guy who posted this on Twitter is going to allow me to wear a parachute. Okay. Then, okay. If you have a parachute, then I would say skydiving naked. Cause it, to me, it feels like less people see you. (laughs) That was my exact thought. Was it really? (laughs) Yes. Because you're totally naked, but how many people are really going to see you? And it might kind of feel like fly through the sky naked. I don't, but I don't want to skydive at all, you know? And what if you landed, like, what are you going to land in? Because, you you know, like, yes, yes. That's a very good point. I think transcontinental flight. So we're talking 12 to 24 hours on a plane. I think I'm going to go with underwear because, okay, okay. you know, I'll just be sitting in my seat. (laughs) 
<laughs> minding your own business. Minding my own business. I'm assuming minding no, all of my business. I'm assuming no blanket allowed or something like that. You know, you're just, you just know, you and your underwear this is, out for the world. This is our absurd imagination. So <laughs> I think that's, I think so. Yeah. I love um, this. Okay. Share some more, Catherine. This is very um, fun. Another one. This one was hard. Terraforming Mars or <laughs> whole wheat toast. <laughs> this is sort of becoming a crazy game of would you rather? Oh well, man. I, I responded, goodness, you're good at this game. Whole wheat toast sounds a lot easier. And the person said, mm-hmm. it's not a question of easiness. It's a question of whether or not you could have a whole wheat toast again versus allowing humanity to live on a whole new planet. Oh. <laughs> wow. So that's like an individual or this, collective choice there. Yeah. So I really had no choice after that. Yeah. You have no choice to, except to say terraforming Mars. I yeah. still would, if it was up to like the me, like you're the one who has to terraform Mars. Yeah. Or you're the one who gives up whole wheat toast. Right. I'm still going to go toast. Like big I think so, yeah. I can understand, but like I don't if, think the future of humanity should rest yeah. on my ability to uh-uh. terraform uh-uh. Mars. Okay, no. do you have any? Were there any other good ones? Yes, so many. Um, one was Amazon or <gasps> the Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay, here's this one's like okay. I should say the Amazon. Uh huh. In real life, I'm choosing Amazon.com. Uh, like, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I publicly typed out the Amazon, but I'm with you. Yeah, I'm with yeah. you. Oh, this is funny. Okay, any other good ones? Okay, yeah, this one's kind of funny because it this person took it to another level. Oh, so. Okay. I'm going to say the names of two mythological bad guys, and I'm sure I'm not going to say their names correctly. But the first option is apples with charybdis. Mm-hmm. Charybdis. Okay. Do you know who okay. I'm talking about? Nope, but I'm going to Google. C-H-A-R-Y-B-D-I-S, like a okay. Greek bad guy. Yep. Alternatively. In Greek mythology. Yeah, okay. yeah. Alternatively, oranges and skilla. <laughs> okay. The, is- the other sea monster. Wow. Okay, so apples and the one and sea monster. The one sea monster. Oranges and the other sea monster. Scylla, yeah. Well, I so like... I Go ahead. I, what is... I prefer apples to oranges. <laughs> <laughs> so I was and just thinking that. Uh, go ahead. If go I ahead. have to if I have to have a yeah. Greek sea monster both ways, I might as well be enjoying the fruit I'm eating. So yeah. So I like oranges more than apples, so that's where I was okay. going. If I have to choose yeah, if either way there's a sea monster, I'm going with oranges. I know I I am a big fan of the Loch Ness monster. So if one of those oh. mythical creatures is more like yeah. Nessie? No, neither of them are. One, but okay, okay, helpful. This feels okay. like a good time to say you get a sea monster and I get a sea monster and everybody, <laughs> everybody gets, gets a sea monster. monster. Okay, this was really fun. Follow Catherine McNeil on Twitter <laughs> for more fun like this at Catherine McNeil. Do you have just one more you want to share with us, Catherine? Because I feel like there's I, one more in there. I do. Okay, let's hear Cheeseburger it. versus impossible burger that was oh, a no-brainer no brainer. no brainer yeah that's a cheeseburger all day long cheeseburger so for sure vegans i mean i'm proud i love you and i'm for you but yeah it's yep. a cheeseburger all day long all right coming up next we have a new segment that we've just brought onto the show called should christians fill in the blank we're gonna have a conversation about some things should christians do with Catherine. we'll do that when we return you're listening to the common good on am 1160 hope for your life 
Last week, Brian and I introduced a new segment called Should Christians fill in the blank. And uh, we talked about should Christians watch rated R movies today. Catherine, and I thought we would at least begin with this one. Should Christians practice yoga? Catherine, what are your thoughts? I actually think this is a truly controversial one because I know a lot of people who would say no. Yeah. And so fun fact I spent about a year and a half studying Hinduism, not as a devotee, you know, as yeah. a devout Christian, but yeah. really wanting to understand the religion of Hinduism. And I actually mm-hmm. did my college internship in India. So I'm I'm by no means an expert, obviously. Yeah. I'm an American Christian. Period. The end. <laughs> yeah. I can only speak for American Christians. But I think what I came away with on this on this topic is that yoga is a profoundly valuable spiritual practice, which can be pointed in the direction of the Hindu pantheon of gods, but can also be pointed at Jesus Christ and God, our father and the Holy spirit. And so just like you can easily find millions of people using prayer to connect with what we would not consider God, we, that doesn't mean we don't use prayer to con- connect with God. Does that make sense? Yes, or absolutely. people absolutely. will use worship mm-hmm. or uh, a music mm-hmm. in worship to whatever God or deity mm-hmm. they believe in. But that doesn't mean we don't use singing yeah. in worship yeah. to the God we believe in. So I actually think yoga, in my decision, is that yoga fits into that. It is a prayerful, meditative way of embrace engaging your body in what could be a worshipful exercise in the in the presence of a deity yeah or you know or not it could be a way to stretch out your shoulders <laughs> so, right 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 my yeah. husband who is a lead pastor practices yoga and he does it for okay. the benefits yeah i have personally anecdotally felt the holy spirit meet me in yoga classes and deeply powerful i have too ways. i have too uh but i think you're right there's there's of course the critique that it uh it's very prevalent in the hindu religion and also well, they it created could, it could be a form of syncretism right that you're you're taking yes that's other religion. I, I, I think it's a fair critique, but I think you're exactly right, Catherine, that you can land at what if you took the, the tool, the method towards Jesus. Right. I'm far less concerned about accidentally worshiping another God when I do yoga and far more concerned that I'm, um, taking things from a culture that I don't fully understand. Mm. Um, actually the, the really important word for that is suddenly escaping my mind, but like cultural um, appropriation. Is yes, that that's it. Yeah. Appropriation. Yeah, yeah. I think that we are not necessarily aware of what we're saying to mm. other people when we just mm. embrace yoga. But I, I totally agree with you that I've found it to be very spiritually beneficial for yeah. me at times. Yeah. 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 Okay. Here's another one. Slightly controversial. Okay. Should Christians get tattoos? Ooh. What do you think about that? I see no reason not to. What do you think? I mean, I know what you think. <laughs> yeah, I, it's I I have three tattoos, so that's my answer right there. I know that uh, Leviticus, I think, says something that 
forbids tattoos, but I'm, you know, I'm always hesitant when people say the Bible is clear X, Y, Z. Well, the Bible is clear about some things. And there are yeah. other things that like we, you know, the Bible was thousands of years ago in a completely co- different context different culture. Than ours, mm-hmm. and some things that might feel clear actually won't. And, um, but I, a lot of these decisions, Catherine, I actually think need to be made in your community. Like, does it, yes. like, does it hurt your community? Does it hurt your community sense of worship if you get tattoos? Same with if you practice yoga. Does it hurt right. the Christians that are maybe um, haven't been Christians as long as you have? Like, so we make these decisions, I think, in in our community and in yes. the collective. But I also don't. I personally think, obviously, <laughs> yeah, Christians can. And should and, if they want to. And should. <laughs> Aubrey, I have to confess to you, I do not have any tattoos. Do you still consider me a Christian? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I really, I wanted to sit okay. down and have a, have a serious spiritual oh. talk about it. Okay, here's okay. a fun one. I know where you're going to stand on this. But I have gotten into this debate with people before, recently actually. Oh. Should Christians read Harry Potter? <laughs> <laughs> you laugh. Yes. But we've had some listeners get mad at us about this one. <laughs> Christians should read Harry Potter. Uh, mm-hmm. Harry Potter was written by a woman who's a Christian and yep. is full of profound Christian themes. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah. yeah Absolutely I beautiful. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Yes. Um, okay, Catherine, this segment was born because Brian and I saw a guy on Twitter who was talking about things that he just can't let go of from his church yeah. upbringing. And one of these, I'm with him. So I actually can't say it out loud, but I'm going to do the um, oh. the acronym oh. for you. He said, for the life of me, I can't say OMG, but say oh. that not OMG. He means yep. the actual phrase. Taking the Lord's name in vain. And I can't do it either. Like when people, even when people say some of the, like, um, some of the swear words that are, that are similar to, um, the name of our Lord and savior. Yes. I'm like, Oh no, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't are there things like that, either serious or maybe more humorous because of your church upbringing or your evangelical hackles, you just can't, you're like, uh, uh, no, can't go there. Even though you might know, like it's so, you know, well, I mean, I do say that I do type the letters O M G into texting a lot, but I what I do that personally too. mean is, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, because yeah. that's what I say. I cannot imagine using God's name that way. Mm-mm. But to, I was raised to not even say, oh my gosh, I was yeah, never allowed, allowed to say, to that. say that. Yeah, and yeah. so I do sometimes. It's a slippery slope, but I do sometimes say, oh my gosh, instead of, oh my goodness. Uh Um, But yeah, I don't, I don't really swear at all. Yeah. But here's something interesting. I know we're being fun. We're not being philosophical, but you can be though. You you have me on, you know what you're getting. Yeah. Um, I am, however, convinced that when the Bible talks about not using God's name in vain, they mean it is mostly talking about acting as though God is approving our actions Mm -hmm. when God would not approve our actions. Mm -hmm. And I think that we are all complicit in that Mm -hmm. every day in a lot of ways. Totally. 
And so I sometimes think we put so much word or so much emphasis on the power of words as though they were magical that we don't realize that it's the way we're living in the world and the Mm -hmm. way we're using words to manipulate people or gain Mm -hmm. power for ourselves, that Mm -hmm. that's the problem God is concerned about. Mm. But we can go back to having fun now. No, that's good. I think we'll end there. I like that, Catherine. Strong word. Should Christians... We know you should not take the Lord's name in vain. Catherine is talking about what that actually means. Should Christians say other swear words? Should Christians do yoga? Should Christians get tattoos? Let us know what you think at Common Good Talk on social media. Catherine, once again, thanks so much for being here with us. It's uh, the so past good to be here. Days. We have loved having you. I will be back tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. with my regular co-host, Brian Fromm. For Catherine McNeil, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on A. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com